0: You're listening to Never Sleeps Network.
1: Hey guys, Aaron Roverman here just to tell you about our sponsor, Harry Tarantula. Harry Tarantula is Our original sponsor, they're the OG sponsor. They were here in the very beginning when we were just a fledgling comic book show done out of some guy's bedroom. But they have some amazing product for you. Just go down to their store at 3456 Young Street and you can get your role-playing games. You can get your comic books, of course. You can get your tabletop games. They have everything. We got Pokemon cards. We've got Star Wars miniatures. They just have everything that you could possibly want. Plus, Leon, their owner, is an amazing dude. he uh, He's very honest and uh, he'll get you everything you need. And uh, they have an amazing new space there at 3456 Young Street. So you got to go down. You got to check out their merchandise. Sometimes they have weekly live role-playing games, some Magic the Gathering stuff. They're doing championships all the time. You've probably seen a lot of their stuff on our social media because we try to promote them any way we can because without them we wouldn't be able to put this podcast together for you. So please if you're local to Toronto and even if you're not look them up at www.harryt.com and uh, check them out at 3456 Young Street and tell them Aaron sent you.
0: listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. Here's your host, Aaron
1: Broverman. Godspeed, old chum. Hey, fan people. Welcome to another episode of Speech Bubble. I am your host, Aaron Broverman, and we are live. From the beautiful Hairy Tarantula in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, at 3456 Yonge Street. We are celebrating their grand opening of their newest location. It's their Halloween party as I'm talking to you. We have great sales, we have people in costume, we have, uh, there's people dressed up as like star fighters. There's zombies around here. Let me just set the scene for you, for the people listening at home. Uh, yeah, it, it is Halloween. I believe there's a haunted house uh, in the basement, and if, if people wanted to try that. But uh, this is one of the f- first live broadcasts that we're doing from this new location, and we hope to do more uh, in the future. Of course, if you're not new to the podcast, you know that Speech Bubble is on Never Sleeps Network at neversleepsnetwork.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at Speech Bubble Pod. We also are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play if you want to download and subscribe. If you are subscribing, don't forget to like us and send us a review. If you do review our podcast on Apple Podcasts, let us know through our Facebook page and I will send you a free comic from my personal collection. Anyway, let's get into our show. Today, our guest is Attila Adorjani. Attila is an artist. He does all kinds of things. He's known for his uh, critically acclaimed Schuster-nominated comic Metaphysical Naroma. he's done some stuff for the now defunct Speakeasy comic publications, he's worked for all kinds of people from Warner Brothers, a lot of corporations, he does motion graphics, he does all kinds of things. And his newest project is very exciting, it's called Tilty Toys, and Tilty Toys He's making all kinds of figurines. He's working on a set of figurines called the Dirty Dozen, which are like mutant donuts, basically, that are part of some sort of genetic experiment. And uh, you can get those on his website. He's done toys, like I'm looking at like a a mutant version of Hello Kitty right now in front of me. You gotta check that out at tiltytoys.com. I gotta talk to him about that kind of stuff. So, welcome, Attila. How are you? Thanks for having me. It's I'm good. good. It's amazing to have you. Uh, before we get into all the stuff that you do and you're you're mega talented, we got your Thank comics you, out here uh, for people to see if they're with us at Harry Tarantula. Let me get into your name is Attila, right? Attila the Conqueror. How did your parents arrive at Attila as a name for you?
0: They're Hungarian.
1: So okay.
0: Attila was kind of a, a natural fit kind of name. Right. Uh, uh, odd here, but pretty common in, in Hungary.
1: Do you get like reactions or associations with Attila the Hun?
0: Every time. Okay. It's because yeah. of the way I look, right? right. I got this whole deal.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. So where did you grow up?
0: Here in Toronto. Here in uh, Austro- but I spent my teen years in Australia, and I've sort of bounced back and forth
1: cool. uh, a little bit. What brought you to Australia? Family again. That's awesome. So then what was your growing up life like? What kinds of things were you into? Were you into comics growing up?
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Later on, uh, uh, definitely around the time I I was a rat on a skateboard. Okay. Around uh, 12, I think, was when... uh, 11, 12 was when I really got uh, into comic books. It was introduced by friends. Before that I was really into funnies. I guess they were still comic books in the same traditional sense. Um, but the subject matter was kind of a little different spy versus spy, Garfield and that kind of stuff. My, my obsession was, was, was with, uh, with, with toys originally um, and it's, it's what sort of kept me uh, sort of on the sidelines sometimes with, with comics.
1: So what kind of toys did, were you into and what kind of comics were you into?
0: Big time, I I, I was into uh, a comic called Alien Legion and uh, X-Men and stuff like that.
1: Um, What era of X-Men is this around, you think? Like the John Byrne era? uh,
0: I'm going to say issue 314 or something like that. It was the very first one I got to pick up and look at and go, my God, what is this? Right. And then I just went a little whole hog after that. Nice, nice. Um, And with toys... Uh, a lot of people know my transformer tattoos, so so I, I would say transformers. But transformers was, it was a gateway drug because there was GI Joe and muscle muscle, the Kajiki men,
1: right, right, little yeah. guys,
0: and battle beasts. I got to say battle beasts were the ones that really anything that was was this this sort of size that was you know, in your hand size was the stuff that I really like, I don't know why, but it was like I could put a uh, a bunch of them in my pocket, get on my skateboard, go off, play video games in the arcade, and have them there with me and stuff. That and a Slurpee,
1: right? That's awesome, that's awesome. What about like high school? And like, were you, were you always artistically inclined? Were you always an artist back then?
0: Uh, I've had patches where I've done other stuff. I feel like, by, by other people's definition of it, I mean I spent some time welding, I spent some time doing um, special effects stuff, uh, some animatronic stuff, and, and creature application kind of uh, 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 sculpture stuff. Wow. But a lot of that started um, because of uh, an influence from my family. My, both my parents are artists. My mom had a gallery for years and my dad's a sculptor painter. And uh, growing up in an environment where uh, mold casting and other stuff like that was just a byproduct of the everyday, um, it just ca- became a kind of natural flow for me.
1: That's really awesome. That's kind of that's kind of cool. And you were mentioning before we got started that you you did some acting, right? Like what what movies yeah. and stuff have you been in?
0: Well, no, briefly, it, it, while I was playing around doing special effects and stuff, I I got to do uh, a few roles here and there. Um, Dirty Work and the uh, Femme Makita, a couple other little things while, while I was working on, on a lot of Toronto productions, where guys, you know, I come out and I'm there to storyboard or to do some conceptual designs or to hand in some props that I, I had worked on for stuff. Right. Um, and then they'd have one look at me, and they're like, dude, you look like a pimp, or you look like a, a pusher, or or you look like this uh, Mongolian hordesman. Let's throw some furs on you and put you on a horse. So that's awesome. I was like, yeah, sure. Have you uh,
1: have you always had a unique look? I guess, Yeah, yeah. I guess. Wow. Uh, so, so in Dirty Work, who did you play in Dirty Work, just as an example? I was one of
0: the bad boys in jail.
1: <laughs> cool, that's awesome. Blowing them kisses and whatnot. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So then I think how I started to hear about you from like the Toronto comic scene was through metaphysical neuroma. And you had done some stuff for Speakeasy. You know, I know that you did some cover work and that sort of thing. Talk a little bit about your comics work. Uh, how, did, how did that get started? How did you go from a fan to a professional?
0: I think my entire life, I've been surrounded by uh, by people who are passionate about comic books because Toronto's like a, a hub for comics. Right. I think every one of the people who I knew, who I was friends with, were doing something like that. Were into that. Were were so into it that it was just it was a part of the culture. Right. Right. And I don't know if that's because we we grew up on Prisoners of Gravity or 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 what, but it was maybe it's something in the water. Right. Right. But uh, but I, I dabbled. Uh, the, but. I did a couple of designs for a t-shirt label. Okay. Which was a, a, a company that was here in Toronto. And they had asked me to do a web comic, or well, not a, it wasn't even a web comic at that time, it was a, a comic sort of for a zine, okay. the, the OG okay. webcomic. That was the first time I did a thing for this. Um, this story, and then it transformed into a piece I did for the Toronto Comic Arts Festival book.
1: Oh, okay, cool.
0: And then uh, I felt like I wanted to explore the story, and, uh, and then I, I kind
1: of just went with it, see what I would do. That's awesome, that's awesome. So this metaphysical neuroma is part of the reason that it's so critically acclaimed is because it was very experimental, right? What did you, you want to do with that? Like, when, How did that idea come to you?
0: I, I, every time I had been talking about what I wanted to do with digital comics, I, I had been really influenced by the idea of, of having an element of, of interactivity to, to the way that you navigate through the story. So when I made Metaphysical, I, I started putting it together and, and sharing it at first as just your sort of traditional, here, here's a panel, here's a page, sort of sequence or whatever. But when it was finally assembled, uh, it was made to be somewhat... Nonlinear, in that you could navigate through the main story and have uh, offshoots that that are uh, trigger points within panels that allow you to sort of go into backstory or or immerse yourself in a, an aspect of the story that was a little bit more fluid, right. right? A fluid narrative, but done through interactivity. And most of what I was doing was trying to find those 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 beats, the moments between panels, to find expressions about how some of the the text, the narrative comes in, um, and how they meet each other, uh, creating sort of sub-narratives sometimes as, as panels uh, or, or, or sequences sort of emerged from other parts of it or evolved.
1: So with Metaphysical Neuroma, you'd click on a panel and it would take you in a whole different direction. It'd be kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure sort of thing.
0: Yeah, sometimes it, it would even break the menu and, uh, and lead you in a puzzle that you could, uh, you could find hidden elements and, and hidden sequences and stuff.
1: That's awesome, that's really cool. That's cool. And like, how long did that run for?
0: Uh, the the biggest chunk of it I did between 2008 and 2011. Right. Um, but then maintaining it and uh, and trying to update the website became a little bit of a, a terror when the mobile platform uh, played in. And it means that I have to completely reprogram everything, rethink which way the window is, even your horizontal, um, vertical navigation thing changes the entire thing, but it also, it, it, it changed the way that everyone's interacting with narrative online. So it just became a, you know, a blip in time for me of something I did. And now I'm, I'm experimenting with my next chapter on Instagram because I feel like that's, that's, that's the next thing where
1: things are at. And I mean, if people don't know anything about metaphysical neuroma, uh, the first issue of it is available on Comixology. What is it about for people who are completely uninitiated?
0: I knew I was going to have to do a space opera, something something Star Wars esque, because it was just that was in my blood. Right. And but I knew that it had to start like your last Starfighter, your uh, your uh, Tron, the the story where you're, you're a guy, uh, a kid, uh, a person who's who's there on Earth, immersed in the reality of, of uh, the minutiae of, of every day, right? right. Um, before it goes to space, right? So that you're grounded in something. And, and I knew that it, as a webcomic and doing it that way, it would be okay to, to, to do that because it could be a slow burn and, and get people there. But I have to say, when I tell people about it at a con, you've got three seconds. You go, it's a sci-fi, it's a mystery, it's sort of cosmic acid and, uh, and they usually go, oh, okay. Uh, but if you, if you start saying, yeah, it's a slow burn and stuff, you're like, oh, I'll see you later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Comic books are too, uh, too disposable for people to, to, to go that way with it. So it, it, it really has to be about the, the, the story itself. And at its core, I wanted to write a story about a broken hero, yeah. a character who didn't know their own significance, right? Right. Um, uh, and to catch them at, at the... Uh, I had someone tell me this... Uh, a local writer, Joe Joe O'Brien, right. He said that every best story starts with a character on their worst day, right. And if I could imagine what was the worst day for this guy, it was like you're dead. yeah you're you're dead or you're dying, and this is it, and you're done, and you don't even know why, right right? That was the worst. And I started with that panel and the story and the narrative came from there. And I just let it sort of unfold itself. And I used the power of of sort of jumping back and forth between the sequences, the past tense and present tense to hopefully craft together a good story out of it. It's like
1: the comic version of like Memento or something. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I don't know if you guys ever seen that movie, but Memento... Check it out. It sort of goes back and forth in memory and pieces together a story in sort of a jumbled up kind of way that Attila is talking about. But right now, like, Metaphysical Neuroma is not available online. Um, do you have any plans of, like, relaunching a graphic novel or putting it back online at, at some point?
0: Possibly. Uh, I I, w- I want to see about putting... I've got the current chapter of what I'm working on right. and if, if there's an interest in it, I'll definitely reshare it because I don't want to hide it from people. I gave it away originally right? Um, because I wanted people to see it. Uh, I wanted people to experience it, but I, I feel like impermanence is, is one of the best things about comic books. Right, right, for um, sure. I, I love the 25-cent bin. I found some of my favorite comic books. It battered in a battered condition. I took them home and I battered them further. And the notion of something just not being available anymore, not, uh, not around, or the, the ephemera, like the, the ash cans, those were the things I started chasing after. When I was going to a comic book show, I was like, no, 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 I know I can get this anywhere, but I gotta go to this person, I gotta get this from them, like a junkie, because they're the only person who's giving it out, right? Right. right. And, and now I feel, I, I, I don't feel any different about it only I know that wherever the people are is where the medium has gotta go, right? right? And if comic books is, if a traditional format comic book is your thing, right. then I want that to be the thing that's for you. Right, right. But if you're, like so many of my friends, if you're on, on a video game and you're, you're there and you're doing your thing and you're not reading a traditional format comic book, how are you getting your comic narrative? Right. Right? I want the story to stay alive. Right. So that's why I'd go to Instagram, go to webcomic, whatever it is.
1: Yeah, and you're doing really exciting things because, you know, part of the reason Metaphysical Neuroma isn't online is because you're focused on your new project, which is Tilty Toys. You're doing these, like, kind of obscure, like, new artistic toys uh, that, like, I've never seen before. But when I saw it on Instagram, I'm like, you know we're doing a Halloween show at Harry Tarantula, and this is very Halloween, so we got to have you in. So talk about some of the stuff you're doing uh, for Tilty Toys. Why did you launch a whole toy company? That seems like a completely different direction.
0: Yeah, I guess it is. Tilty Toys was was something I needed to do because I realized part part way through my journey, it just being sort of in the nebulous void being a freelancer and, 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 and going about doing a bunch of different things and dabbling in, in, in different areas, I realized the thing that was, that was the most exciting part of what I was doing was the collaborations. Right. right? And I, that collaborative spirit was something I wanted to bring to a banner I could get behind. So um, I took my experiences with, with casting and, and sculpting and stuff that I got from special effects and, and my sort of dabbling in, in toy cutting and whatnot from years ago and brought that back in, in into my focus and just started playing around with some of that stuff and and playing around with some of the designer art community. Kid Robot did some uh, art projects, some gallery shows and yeah, stuff. Yeah, um, like,
1: like some of the design spaces in Toronto, I, I remember going to like a show that was basically all toys and like... You know, uh, like like sriracha bottles turned into toys, all kinds of like custom toys and that sort of thing. So like toys have sort of morphed into sort of the, its own art in a way, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. In many ways, there's the there's the licensing branding side of of toys, but there's also this sort of art counterculture, Kazakh, Ron English side of 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 the s- expression of of politics, social status, uh, uh, yeah, even uh, a knowing sort of sub-joke within a joke or a meme has now become part of the culture of, of what toys are. Right, right. And, uh, and that, that's, that's why I felt Tilty Toys was uh, a thing I wanted to, to make happen. It was the notion of, of play and play with friends that, that brought me to the name, uh, because Tilty was actually what, I, I, a couple of times people have had trouble saying my name. I've been called everything from uh, utility to Matilda, and uh, and a couple of times I had been tagged as Tilty, right? <laughs> right. Oh Or 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 uh, Alita. Right. Um, but but Tilty has this sort of the notion of 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 being slightly askew, right. And but also there's this seesaw kind of playfulness uh, to the notion of the name, right? Right. And I wanted to embrace that and and launch with a couple of projects that were focused around artists, the culture of the art itself, the process itself, and, and Kaiju Cars, which I think is the thing that, that, that you probably saw. Yeah. Was, was the thing that really made uh, sense to me. It was like, I, I want to I bring the love of, of this stuff together and find a way to create a project that's about the love of this thing. And so uh, using parodies, we sort of started a mashup artist series focused on cars and monsters.
1: Right, and that's Kaiju Cars. That's another reason I wanted to have you on, because that's very Halloween. Uh, Kaiju, for those who don't know, are like Godzilla, those monsters that you'd see rampaging through cities in those different movies. Those are Kaiju. Godzilla is a Kaiju. So. Tell me about Kaiju cars. Right now, it's just on Instagram, right? You're putting up all these different monsters that people might recognize in cars, right? Driving cars.
0: Yeah, and 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 the cars are are uh, are also hopefully the recognized uh, um, celebrities, as it were. Um, but it's about it's about throwing the sort of the ideas together, um, and and playing off jokes. Where where it's it's this specific car and this specific monster together is what makes it the funny thing. Right, right, right. right. So
1: and like then you'd pair the Batmobile with a monster that would give it a new sort of significance. It's sort of remixing it into a new thing. Right? Yeah,
0: like like the Back to the Future Delorean, right, right? Uh, the Back in Time with uh, with Brundle Fly, right, and you've got time flies.
1: <laughs> right, right. That's awesome.
0: Um, and then, and then, it, I got a bunch of different guys who, and artists who were uh, uh, super talented, who were all doing their own takes on things and coming up with their own uh, jokes and, and whatnot. And uh, and then uh, some. Uh, some monstrous talents that are are, uh, are redoing some of the stuff. Like the ones I'm throwing out are, are just my my everyday sketches that I'm, I'm putting out. But the final arts for the cart series are going to be all guy, uh, artists that um, I. I I can't say any of them because you caught me so early on that i i can't uh I can't show uh, th- there's a few there's just a few surfacing now right but uh we're we're still months away from having enough to actually show anyone specific stuff right
1: because from Instagram you eventually want to get it into like its own series of car toys, right like you want it to be like the Hot Wheels of monsters, basically, you know what yeah, I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah, I'd love to do that. Uh, first, we're, we're, we're intending to do it as a card art series, uh, uh, collected to be uh, like your uh, Garbage Pail Kids or-
1: Mars Attacks and
0: that kind of stuff. Yeah, if if, if you know the um, Odd Rods or the Wacky Packages from the 70s, that, that, was, that was the thing that really like, Ed Big Daddy Roth and Wacky Packages was the thing that that made me go, okay, we have to do something, because it feels like that's the culture of now. Right. And the card series was was the motivation, and then the idea of playing with other artists
1: was the excuse. What about the Dirty Dozen? Like, we have it in front of us, and let me just describe it for the audience at home. It's basically like a mutant uh, donut, basically. These are all, like, donut monsters. This is the pumpkin spice one. Tell me about the Dirty Dozen. What's the concept behind the Dirty Dozen?
0: Uh, It's a cultural now thing. People seem obsessed with donuts. And there's something like right this second about, about how I feel or how we all seem to feel about the toys from 1984. I want to say, right? Um, like so, GI Joe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I started playing around with. I did this one uh, little donut, the mi- little Mister Melty, um, as one of my con toy um, li- little things for the the table, and uh, and it just left the table Took off. so fast. Um, so I, I started thinking, okay, I w- well, I want to play around with the idea, and uh, and so the uh, the yo yo Do,
1: that's Yo awesome. do. Um, the, the
0: the dirty dozen was 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 uh, exploring the idea of of those those characters those the, the figures and stuff from that era, but wanting to to, to find something that, that isn't quite as as military focused had a little more sense of, of childish play, which is why uh, the uh, the slingshots and uh, and gum. And and the idea of uh, of sort of diner culture, which has been something uh, uh, an obsession of mine for a long time, it, it was it was just an obvious fit, and we're Canadian. It's that, it's, yeah. it's 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 like it do- donuts is Canadian. It yeah. was it, as a Canadian company who's going up making toys. One of the first toy lines I had to make was going to be donuts.
1: So with the Dirty Dozen being sort of like a parody, loose parody of uh, G.I. Joe and the Joes. Who are like the Cobra? Who are the villains of this series?
0: Uh, the, the villains are the delightful dozen, the, uh, the, the, the vegan holier than thou versions that, uh, that are so, so purest good that they've gone the other way right. and are, so, to allow our anti-heroes to sort of get into the surface of it all, right? And then that, that, that's, the, that's the war right now between sort of vegan donuts and your dirty donuts and, and I'll let, I let people's love for either side of that uh, go. I, I, it's, it's the argument I like to see people have in front of the toy that makes me happy.
1: Right, and you've got this zombie Hello Kitty. Is this also available through Tilty Toys? Yep,
0: my Goodbye Kitty, the, uh, uh, or Hello Again Kitty, depending <laughs> on which way uh, she, she's, uh, she's painted. Again, it was one of those, uh, I think it was 2006? Was when I did the original figure. Um, it was one of those I did a custom, and then uh, and then the the just the demand that people from from my toy side of things uh, said, you, you know, I, I want that, I want that, I want that, and I was like, no, I sold that eons ago. It was just the one, right. and so I, I had to make something, um, and I had to take it up a, a, a little notch. That's why she's she was my first articulated piece where it was. Cast as, as two pieces, very simple, but my first sort of dabbling into making an articulated toy. So that there's a myself. swivel
1: to the neck and everything. Yeah, yeah, cool. Slightly
0: poseable, and the those these these guys will be uh, poseable arms and legs.
1: Nice. So how does the ordering for Tilty Toys work? Are you doing them like as people order them, you make them, or is it a mass production thing? Like what? How are you getting it out to people?
0: Up, up until very very much like this year, I had just been doing small batches of, of a few figures whenever I felt like it and whatnot, but, but with Tilty um, going in a more, um, I guess, serious direction, um, we're, we're starting to, to, to consider putting the, the first of, of our projects to some platform like Kickstarter, possibly, nice. for, for Kaiju Cars and for Dirty Dozen. And then we'll see, it's about the audience reaction.
1: Nice, so we gotta follow you if we wanna know what's happening, we wanna support you on Kickstarter. Uh, how can people get in touch on social media?
0: Uh, right now, heavily on Instagram, cool. uh, because I, I, I felt uh, rather than being sort of spread out on, on all the different platforms, if I just focus in one place, I might be able to, uh, to bring all of the crazy things I do in under one banner. Right because previously I would just put something to YouTube if it was a YouTube thing or motion graphics or whatever, and I would even leave it unlisted because there was only so many people that I wanted to share that stuff with.
1: Right, right, so what is your Instagram if you want to check out Kaiju Cars or The Dirty Dozen?
0: Uh, It's Attila Adderjani.
1: Attila Adderjai, okay, cool. (laughs) I don't know how people are gonna spell that. You wanna spell it No,
0: Attila was taken, um, but it isn't on Patreon. I'm, I'm straight up just Attila on Patreon, but at, it's A-T-T-I-L-A-A-D-O-R-J-A-N-Y. Okay, cool. And uh, if, if if there's a simpler way to do it, I, I should be doing it, but I'm not. You're right. <laughs> and it seems to be the story
1: of the way I go. Nice, so how did you gain all of these skills? Did you go to school for art? Like, you seem kind of mercenary, as most freelancers, freelance people are. You're sort of all over the place. You're doing special effects, you're doing toys, you're doing comics. How did all these opportunities sort of fall into your lap?
0: I'd love to just say that uh, I was born with the talent or something but right. um, but my my mom and my dad being artists and and the culture being um, around the household was was it, it was bred into me I like it had to be a part of what I did right um, special effects was what I decided to do because I knew that Going and doing, being a stuntman was, was insane, uh, which is what I wanted to do up until I was about 18.
1: So um, you didn't want to get hurt?
0: No, 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 I didn't mind getting hurt. I, uh, I mean, you know, like the skateboard and everything, I was, I was regularly getting hurt. Actually, I, when I, I got hit pretty bad on, a, in, in a, uh, on my bike, um, and, and that accident was probably a wake up for both the reality, I'm not gonna be playing rugby for the rest of my life, and I'm not gonna go off and become a stuntman. Big become a stuntman, yeah. And that was about the point in time that I took a break from school. I went and started working in a mannequin factory, uh, got some money together, came back to Canada on my own and, so I could go into film school because I wanted to go work in special effects. Right, right. And then I just did every divergent thing in between.
1: That's I, amazing.
0: Every time I had an opportunity, I said yes. I had tried different things. Every time I didn't know a program, I tried to teach myself it. Um, and, and I've just kept going ever since.
1: Is it kind of a fake it till you make it kind of thing where like people assume you know something and you just say, yeah, I can do that for you kind of thing?
0: Nah, nah, that, that, that is a fast way to get in trouble.
1: Okay, okay. I
0: mean, that, that, that is, that uh, you can say that, you can put that stuff out there, right. you know, I know everything, whatever, but when, when you're faced with it, and you're sitting in front of a director, they've got you in there, they've they've paid you to come sit. You better
1: know what's happening.
0: You better know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. And so, most of what I've done is go, well look, I can't 3D sculpt this for you in Sculptress or with ZBrush, but I still know how to sculpt from before, because I used to sculpt, and I so I'll, I'll traditionally sculpt it for you. Get someone who can scan it in, right. and that's that's been sort of my relationship. Is that every time I've either been introduced to somebody or I've worked with someone, it's been off of uh, trading off of somebody else's opinion of me that they've they've recommended me and they've put me out there. God knows from my social media behavior. No one knows I exist because I'm on social media. I, right. I, it, it, only in the last couple of weeks have I really even started posting occasionally on Instagram.
1: Yeah, right? I, I wanted to get into that because for a while, you seem to be doing a lot of stuff. You were doing covers for Speakeasy Comics. You were kind of part of the con scene. Uh, in Toronto, you were at San Diego for a long time. And then you kind of disappeared. So, like, what happened? Tell me about your journey. Like, you, you seem to have, be going along, and things seem to be going great, and then all of a sudden, it just sort of exploded, and only now you're coming back.
0: Yeah, at the same time that, uh, that, that everything was going in, I guess, an expected way, uh, I was, I, I got invited out to San Diego, got to sit down, have a table with my own, um, Deviant Art. Was, uh, was hosting Artist Alley that year. Right. Um, 2011, I think. And I sold out of the comic, uh, and it was fantastic. I had pretty much sold out of everything that was on the table. But when I came back, uh, the opportunity uh, came knocking to go help in this massive corporate um, overhaul of a bunch of companies to, to merge and become one. And the redesign process of that being a, um, a Uh, A designer um, and and motion graphics artist and stuff you've known that I've done some of that other stuff but maybe not everyone knows that right Uh, it was an opportunity of a lifetime and I just couldn't say no to it so I I did it but it was kind of an all-engrossing couple of years worth of journey and uh, and then it, it, it also meant that my my day job Became something where I was I was having to work with with a ton of other people that were under me. I was responsible for them now, uh, at the same time. So I because you
1: were leading this corporate rebranding thing. Right? <clears throat>
0: no, no, I, I was part of a team. Oh, okay. With that, but no, I, at the same time, I had a company that oh, I was okay. running, doing design work, websites, and 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 um, oh, okay, and uh, a lot of explainer videos, uh, animated films, and stuff, uh, that kind of stuff. Right. But but. Uh, in the midst of all of it, I couldn't possibly do it justice to continue trying to mess around and do things on the side. So most of the people who I was working with, I just told them that it's straight up, I just, I couldn't
1: yeah, collaborate. it's too engrossing.
0: Not, not during that time. But, but now, uh, rather than coming back and looking for a project to try and find, I was like, now I'll come back and spearhead one and bring bring an invitation with me with Tilty Toys to get a bunch of other people out there to come play.
1: Right, because you know? I don't know if people realize, but it's not all you. It's you, and then other people can contribute their designs to the to the Dirty Dozen or any toy project that you're doing. Right?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm working with a bunch of people, um, and, and it's just like any other company. It's just small. It's Canadian. Uh, started it here because I, I felt like I, I needed to make something, and I needed to to make a company that had a culture behind it. Right. Because I had a kid during all of this, and that kid came to an age where she uh, she's she's getting to you know be a teenager, and she's thinking about going out and working in the workforce, and she's talking about the places that she could go work at. And creatively here in Toronto, there are there are a ton of great places, but there is also there, there's a bit of a, a, a gap for for some of this stuff. There aren't a lot of companies that are being made. A lot of people who work here and are part of the hub work for other companies, right? right? Yeah. And I felt like I had a choice to make. I can either swing back in and go work for, for all of the other companies or try and use all of the expertise I have from from the, the non-art side of things as well and try and invest myself a little in trying to create something that is that it has cultural significance, right? The comic book was something I need I knew I had to do for myself. Right. But I needed to then follow it up with something that I was doing for my fellow artists. Right. Right? right. Or the comic community or the the, the, the pop culture community. Right. Of Toronto. So
1: you're, you know? through Tilde Toys, you're creating opportunities for other artists.
0: Yeah, yeah. We're, we're also doing a, a, a Twitch series that, that's all about uh, that that kind of thing interviewing and connecting with and immersing in the, the creative process and, and really delving into aspects of what drives that creative spark for all of us, right? Right, because. For the, me, it was toys. Yeah. And for you, uh, I for do, sure. I do
1: writing, clothes, I do right? comics, everything, yeah. Also, too, like, It seems like as I talk to you, that your journey is sort of split. There's like a big indie push for you, but then there's also a corporate push. Like when you were trying to be an artist, how do you balance those two things, like the licensing, the indie side, the corporate side, all that kind of stuff to make a career? Do you feel, uh, do you have any feelings around that?
0: All I can say is it's, it's an interesting path to be on. I wouldn't recommend it for anybody else. I'm not so worried and I spend most of my time accepting my reality is I, I'm only as good as my last recommendation. Right, okay. Right? And I've managed to survive uh, on, on that as my career, but that, that is dangerous territory to go into. Yeah. You, you stay in, in uh, an anonymous space And unless you're really confident in your work or you're really confident that you can get on, you know, you can just get back on any time, it can be dangerous territory. I would say, That if you want to be indie, and that's what drives you, do that and focus on that. If you want to be mainstream, you want to focus on licensed stuff, go do that, because they're entirely different things. They're so different beasts, it's like trying to tell somebody that computer programming is the same as welding. For me, it is, because they're two different skills I know, Right. Right. but that's not how people approach it. That's not even, if you were to go on Instagram, that's not how things are. Even if I put my toy stuff in the same space as comic stuff, there are people who will unfollow me just because. I'm posting stuff about toys because the culture is so focused at this stage that people are all about just the niche and the niche is is everything so in that way I would say unless you comfortably are in a niche thankfully I'm in the niche of Attila I'm just gonna be Attila land and do my thing and luckily I've had a career out of it in in every capacity I've been lucky because to be a sculptor who gets to work as an illustrator or an illustrator who gets to work as a sculptor is rare. Most people are going to tell you you go in you go work for this place and they're like look you sculpt you sculpt all day you sculpt 12 hours a day and then you go home and that's it right. Right. Um, And most of the time people will say yeah but it that's fine that you can sculpt but if you can't do it in in uh, 3d program or three or four different 3d programs Then, what good are you today? Right, right? Because it's always evolving. It's always changing.
1: So how are you able to find the clients who are able to think outside the box and like are willing to Do it the way that you want to do it and don't require more of you than the skills you already have M-
0: Mostly I would say it's 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 the reverse of that often it's it's the project and the people that are behind the project that I, I end up getting involved because they know how much of a free radical thinker I am. Right. I, I approach a project a linearly. If I can't do it, I get somebody else who who can, and that's where the collaborative spirit comes in play. Because the thing, the thing itself, the project, what you're working on, becomes the focal point. It becomes. That that becomes the thing that you're in pursuit of.
1: That's awesome.
0: Right? And and being able to reinvent yourself or being able to go, okay, well, look, this doesn't even exist yet, Mm -hmm. right? There's a project we're working on that's using Character Animator. Uh, Character Animator is an extension for uh, uh, After Effects, where you're able to use a, a pseudo 2D, 3D rigging system to take 2D... Elements and assets, and create live animated characters uh, from and controllable by keyboard. And, oh, and, nice! And, That's and, awesome. And uh, you can rig them up sort of like a marionette, where you can sort of puppeteer uh, their motions off of your motions. Um, they had some mocap stuff that they, they shared. Some of the, the the turtles doing that stuff at San Diego oh, cool. this last year. They like Teenage like, Turtles? Yeah, they did a like a round circle. Uh, uh, Q and A Q&A with the turtles, and the turtles were all there, nice. uh, animated in life, being puppeteered by somebody, and and that technology is something that I'm exploring right now. We're working on a bunch of projects with that. When we started working with it, it's it was still in beta with Adobe, right? Right. And that's the kind of clients that when 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 they recognize that you're. You, this is what you want to do this is this is where they want to go they want to create something they want to put something out there but they don't necessarily know what the technology is going to do or which direction it's going to go in they just know that the cultural significance of the project is what's important right right and so that that usually is what dictates when when somebody goes hey i want to go do a motion graphics video That's not usually, they're not saying, I want to go do a motion graphics video. That's not usually how they land on it. They come to you going, look, I want to make an impact. I want to do this thing. I don't want to just do a slideshow, right? And that's when you go, okay, well, have you thought about doing it this way? Right. right? And playing with new technologies is something that's just, these kind of ideas give you the excuse for being able to use them, but they should never be leading the horse.
1: Right, right. It becomes a conversation. Like, have you tried this? Are you doing this? Like, it's more. It's more of a back and forth, right? Yeah,
0: I've spent so much of my uh, my career as a creative director, art director, and not actually being directly responsible for all elements myself, right? I've had to trust that my hand can't be involved. I have to trust in the other person's ability to execute on whatever it is that they're doing. Right. So when when that's the reality, when you know it's not bound to your hands, how you think about talent, how you think about skills, and how you think about, you know, even illustration. I, I, I would just I would be as satisfied with future iterations of my comic book stuff to have somebody else drawing it than myself. Because I think that the, at its core, as long as I'm involved in the idea, getting the idea to happen, that's the thing that, make, that makes me excited. And that's, that's a lot of these, these corporate projects, they're not exciting on the surface, right. but it's, it's what you're doing, what you're innovating, where you're going with it. It's the technologies that are involved, the learning opportunities, playing with other people that, that really gets you, I guess, distracted from, you know, the, the craft right, or, right. or uh, I think that, that there is there is there is a junkie in me that is a junkie for making art and specifically there is a junkie for, for illustrating and for sculpting and so many other things, but somehow I managed to not get myself hooked on just the one drug.
1: That's awesome. You know man. what I mean? Are you? Do you think you're gonna go back into comics? Like
0: um, now I'm making a comic right now. At some yeah. point, it's, it's happening, and I continue. I continue to make panels for the the new story narrative.
1: Right of this.
0: Yeah, I could. I, I finished that first chapter of that story, and uh, and took a hiatus for a while. And I just about a couple weeks ago started up with Zulu Khan, which is a story that I started out with. I think it was Monstrosity. Nice. Was well, a local anthology. Yeah.
1: Uh, I, I we've had Brian Avenue on, who's one of the editors of Monstrosity. It was basically like a monster anthology, an anthology of monster stories, right, published by Alterna.
0: There's an example of exactly how I have been involved in, in Toronto comics. If you were to look at it in a micro, like that is a a, a microcosm for how things happen. I met Brian one time on the TTC cuz he was reading a comic book and I saw him reading a comic book I'm like dude you read comic books I read comic books right. and it literally was one of those is that what you guys are doing on the TTC really <laughs> right and then then uh, that that led to conversations and then oh hey you know we're doing this anthology would you want to do this stuff right right cool uh, again it's that collaborative spirit it's that 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 nature mm-hmm. in the culture of Toronto comics that has has each time Every time I've been invited out to something or to get involved in something, right. an anthology or whatever, I've jumped at the opportunity. I'm just, I'm busy so much of the time, I'm not waiting on the sidelines to play because I'm working on everything. Yeah, right? totally, man. I, would, I, think, I think if I'm not working on stuff, uh, I, I would get into an unhealthy headspace, right? I have to make stuff.
1: right. That's awesome. Well, I, I'm so proud of all the stuff that you're making. I can't thank wait you. until it comes into further fruition and like it gets embraced by like a wider audience and like other people can check it out and see what's happening. But uh, yeah, man, thank you so much for uh, for coming in and doing this. Does anybody have any questions for Attila about the stuff that he's been doing? <laughs> for now at least. Uh, cool. Is there it's gonna good. be a gluten-free Dirty Dozen figure?
0: <laughs> but, uh, I, uh, I believe a full set, a full set of, of uh, 13 that will be gluten-free. gluten-free. Yeah.
1: I know people who will be very pleased. <laughs> that's awesome, that's really cool. Thank you, thank you for that question.
0: I have a question. How much does the inferiorness of the art process influence um, the projects that you take? Would you, what do you, uh, specifically your, do you? Uh, I thought
1: you were talking about how you love the nature, it's how you're talking about how you love the nature of like, that is just not available anymore. That was a moment in
0: time. Yeah. Does something that influences how you go forward with your projects or just how you look back on them? Uh, it's, it's both. I think impermanence, um, if, if you look at it, I mean, what's the biggest, the, one of the biggest things that just happened in the art scene, right, that, that like high art scene, right, was the uh, Banksy's print, right? That was not only impermanence um, being expressed, right, right there, but it was this, it's a print, it's not the original, and the print has become so insane in its value. That, that, that in and of itself is something that's that's not okay and, and, and even that there, there is a there's a thread within the culture of it that that just says, you know, make it tear it up. Like like street art. It it's there and it, it was there. It was in your eyeballs. And that's that's the only place it is, right? And and there's something important about that, you know? We all at some point cease to exist and, and our art stays to some it's, it's the signal to noise factor, right? It, it, it continues in some way after us. And there are, there are projects, there are people who embrace the idea that there, there, that, that there are some things that just are meant to be there for a moment, right? Neuromancer, um, there, there was a book by William Gibson that he, did, that he did a short story that was available on a cassette, I believe. I might be wrong quoting this, but I believe it was uh, your, your classic floppy you put it in, and it starts, and it presses play on it, and uh, it scrolls through. And when it's done, it deletes itself, right? I and and you hear about stuff like that, and you're like, okay, I want to read that. I really want to have been one of the people who got to read that. But it does like literally every copy of it destroys itself. So it's like a room of six people can be there and do that, or or not. And I just. Uh, I want to be in on that. I want to make projects like that. I want to be I want to be a part of that thing where people are like, oh, it was there, but it, it's gone now, right?
1: That's awesome. That's that's the best. I love that because uh, cause it's it's going away. Like now, it's all about like posterity and having things like live online forever and ever, and ever and ever and ever and ever. So like this whole other approach is like is dying, right? And it needs to be kind of brought back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, the idea of, of making a webcomic that disappears um, was something that, that uh, most people are like, what are you doing? No, do you can take it down? I'm like, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Not surprised
0: I Surprised. even my wife. She was like, I went to, I went to show somebody this, the thing and it's, it's not there. I'm like, yeah, I took it down.
1: You're not going to put it back up? Are you just going to leave it impermanent or are you still deciding?
0: I don't see why it should go back up. Like I said, I'll I'll do new things and I'll try new stuff, but um, yesterday was for yesterday.
1: All right, all right, cool. So you gotta catch Attila in the moment that he's working on stuff, because you never know when it's gonna go away. I mean, Tilty Toys might morph into something completely different in a few years from now, and we'll be like, remember Tilty Toys? And it'll be like vaguely, but I don't don't really know, you know what I mean? It's gonna be crazy, and then you'll be on to the next thing. Uh, That's awesome, man. Um, Yeah, thank you guys so much. Sounds like you're wrapping up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. definitely. It's not going to be here forever. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Just right now, you're impermanent. You're going to go away. How can people uh, follow you and uh, keep track of stuff on social media? You got your Instagram. Is that the only place where people can find you?
0: Uh, Tiltytoys.com. Right. Uh, Me on Facebook, uh, for sure. And uh, definitely, uh, if, if there was a central channel I'm trying to, to put everything out through, it's through my Patreon, uh, Attila at Patreon.
1: Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much, man. Yeah. Uh, this has been great. Thank uh, you. I want to thank the people on the boards at Harry Tarantula who've been doing the technical support here. Uh, they have a podcast. Uh, Harry Tarantula is doing their own flashback podcast on uh, YouTube. And uh, it's basically just a recap podcast of all the Magic the Gathering stuff that's been happening at Harry Tarantula over the years. Like, you've designed stuff for Magic the Gathering and D&D, right? Yeah, so yeah. So you know all about that kind of stuff, right?
0: Yeah, I've actually done a, I did a card series, uh, the infighting series that, uh, that was all, all cards I did.
1: Nice, nice. So, yeah, check out Harry Tarantula's podcast, too. Follow them at Harry Tarantula on social media, Twitter, Instagram. And uh, we'll see you next time on Speech Bubble. This has been Speech Bubble. See you in the future, friends. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Speech Bubble on Never Sleeps Network at NeverSleepsNetwork.com is executive produced by Alex Ross. Audio editing by Joseph Yanni. Social media assistance by Jamie Warner and The Social Smiths. Announcements by Craig Mayhem and Sean Ward. Logo design and graphical assistance by Brittany Tice.